Part One, Chapter Five of *The Pride of Yenoko*. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Sylvia M. B. in Washington State. *The Pride of Yenoko*, by Edgerton and Agnes Castle. Part One, Chapter Five. What first entered my brain as the wildest possibility grew rapidly to a desire which possessed my whole being with absolute passion the situation was in itself so singular and tantalizing and that the princess was so beautiful a woman to be on these terms of delicious intimacy with the daughter of one of europe's sovereigns a little sovereign it is true but great by race and connection to meet her constantly in absolute defiance of all the laws of etiquette yet to see her wear through it all as unapproachable a dignity as serene an aspect of condescension as though she were presiding at her father's court it was enough surely to have turned the head of a wiser man than myself it was not long before mademoiselle ottilie the lady-in-waiting discovered the secret madness of my thoughts in the light of what has since occurred i can truly call it so and she it was who for purposes of her own shovelled coals on the fire and fanned the flame one way or another generally on her initiative but always by her arrangement we three met and met daily on the evening of a day passed in their company with the impression strong upon me of the princess's farewell look which had held i fancied something different to its wont with the knowledge that i had unrebuked pressed and kissed that fair hand after a fashion more daring than respectful with my blood in a fever and my brain in a whirl now seeming sure of success now coldly awake to my folly i bethought me of taking counsel again with my great-uncle's pedigree and heartened by the proofs that the blood of yenico was good enough for any alliance i fell to completing the document by bringing it up to date as far as concerned myself now when i in goodly black letters had set down my own cognomen so fair upon the parchment i was further seized with the fancy to fill in the space left blank for my future marriage and i lightly traced in pencil opposite the words basil yenico lord of tolendal the full titles and names by which this time i had studied till i knew them off by heart of her serene highness the princess marie caroline dorothy josephine charlotte ottilie of lositz it made such a pretty show after all that had gone before and it brought such visions with it of the glories the name of yenico might yet rise to that i could not find it in me to erase it again and so left it as it stood telling myself as i rolled up the great deed again and hooked it in its place beneath my uncle's portrait that it would not be my fault if the glorious entry did not remain there forever the next time the ladies visited me mademoiselle ottilie flitting like a little curious brown moth about the great room dancing pirouettes beneath my uncle's portrait and now and again pausing to make a comical grimace at his forbidding countenance while i entertained her mistress at its further end must needs be pricked by the desire to study an important document which i had as i have said already submitted to her view struck by her sudden silence and stillness i rose and crossed the room to find her with the parchment rolled out before her absorbed in contemplation with her elbows on the table her face leaning on her hands with a fierce rush of blood to my cheeks in a confusion that set every pulse throbbing i attempted to withdraw from her the evidence of what must seem the most impudent delusion she held tight with her elbows and then disregarding my muttered explanation that i intended to rub out at once the nonsense i had written in a moment of idleness 
she laid her small finger upon the place and looking at me gravely said why not the whole room whirled round with me my god i cried don't mock me but she with a new ring of feeling in her voice said earnestly she has such misery before her if her father carries out his will to hear these words from her who of all others must be in her mistress's confidence ought however amazing to reason and common sense to have been a spur to one whose ambitions soared so high nevertheless i hesitated to be honest with myself not from a lover's diffidence from a lover's dread of losing even hope but rather from the fear of placing myself in an absurd position of risking the deadly humiliation of a refusal i dared therefore nothing but soft looks soft words soft pressures of the hand and the princess received them all as she received everything that had gone before from one in her position this might seem of itself encouragement enough in all conscience but i waited in vain for some break in her unruffled composure some instant in which i could mark that the princess was lost in the woman and so what drew me most to her kept me back at the same time a rooted distrust of the little lady-in-waiting a certain contempt too for her personality as belonging to that roteur so despised of my great-uncle and myself prevented me from placing confidence in her but she nevertheless precipitated the climax it was three days after the scene in my great-uncle's room one sunday morning beside the holy water font in the little chapel of schreckendorf castle whither upon the invitation of its present visitors my own priest being ill poor man of an og i had betaken myself to hear mass the princess had passed out first and had condescended smiling to brush the pious drops from my finger but mademoiselle ottilie paused as she too touched with hers my outstretched hand and said in my ear as crossly as a spoilt child you are not a very ardent lover monsieur de yenicle the days are going by the countess schreckendorf is beginning to speak quite plain again it is impossible that her highness should be left in this liberty much longer i caught her hand as she would have hurried away if i could be sure that this is not some foolish jest i said in a fierce whisper in her ear and she to me back again as fiercely you are afraid she said with a curling lip that settled it i rode straight home though i was expected to have joined the ladies in some expedition i spent the whole day in a most intolerable state of agitation and then my mind made up i sat down after supper to write beneath my uncle's portrait and the first half of the night went by in writing and rewriting the letter which was to offer the hand and heart of basil yenico to the princess marie ottilie of Lositz. i wrote up and tore up till the ground around me was strewn with the fragments of paper and now i seemed too bold when the whole incongruity and absurdity of my desire took tangible form to mock me in the silence of the night and now too humble when in the flickering glimmer of candlelight my great-uncle would frown down upon me and i could hear him say remember that thou yenicle beast at last a letter lay before me by which i resolved to abide i believe that it was an odd mixture of consciousness of my own temerity in aspiring so high and at the same time of conviction that the house of yenicle could only confer and not receive honour i even proposed to present myself boldly with my credentials at the court of lositz and here of course the famous pedigree came in once more and i modestly added that considering my wealth and connections i ventured to hope the duke her father might favourably consider my pretensions this written and sealed i was able to sleep for the rest of the night 
but was awake again with dawn and counting the minutes until i could decently dispatch a mounted messenger to schreckendorf when the man rode forth i believe it was a little after eight and i know that it was on the stroke of one when i heard his horse's hoofs ringing again in the courtyard but time had no measure for the strange agony of doubt in which i passed those hours not once again have i to admit it because i loved her too dearly to bear the thought of life without her but because of my fierce pride which would not brook the shame of refusal i called in a frenzy to hurry the lagging fool into my presence and yet when he laid the letter on my table i stared at the great seal without daring to open it and when at last i did so my hand trembled like an aspen leaf monsieur de Yenico, it began abruptly i ought to call you mad for what you propose is nothing less indeed than madness you little know the fetters that bind such lives as mine and i could laugh and weep together to think of what the duke my father would say were you really to present yourself before him as you suggest so it ran and as i read i thought i was condemned and in my fury would have crushed the letter in my hand when a word below caught my eye and with an intensity of joy on a par only with the passion of wounded pride that had preceded it i read on but dear monsieur de Yenico, so ran the letter then since you love me and since you honour me by telling me so since you offer me so generously all you have to give i will be honest with you and tell you that my present life has no charm for me i know only too well what the future holds for me in my own home and i am willing to trust myself to you and to your promises rather than to face the lot already drawn for me therefore monsieur de Yenico, if it be true that as you say all your happiness depends upon my answer i trust it may be for the benefit of both that i should say yes to you to-day but what is to be must be secretly done and soon are you willing to obtain your desire to risk a little when i am willing to risk so much in granting it if so meet my lady-in-waiting to-day at six alone where we first met and she will tell you all that i have decided it was signed simply marie Odely. there was no hint of answering love to my passionate declaration but i did not miss it i had won my princess and the few clear words in which she laid bare before me the whole extent of my presumption only added to the exquisite zest of my conquest it was a very autumn day the autumn comes quickly in these lands it had been raining and i rode down from the higher level into a sea of white writhing mists it was still and warm one of those heavy days that as a rule seem like to clog the blood and fill one with reasonless foreboding i remember all that now but i know that there was no place for foreboding in my exulting heart as i sallied out full early to the trysting place the mare i rode because of the close atmosphere and her own headstrong temper was in a great lather when i arrived at the little pine wood and i dismounted and began to lead her gently to and fro for i loved the pretty creature who was as fond and skittish as a woman that she might cool by degrees and take no injury i was petting and fondling her sleek coat when of a sudden without my having had the least warning of her coming i turned to find mademoiselle Ottilie before me she looked at me straight with one of those odd searching looks which i had now and again seen her fix upon me and without either good even or how do you do she said abruptly i saw you coming all the way along the white road from the moment it turns the corner and i saw how your mare fought you and how difficult it was to bring her past the great beam of the well yonder you made her obey but you have not left a scratch upon her sides 
yet you wear spurs she looked at me with the most earnest inquiry and ruffled by the futility of the question when so much was at stake i said to her somewhat sharply what has this to do mademoiselle with our meeting here to-day it has this to do monsieur she answered me composedly that her highness's interests are as dear to me as my own and that i am glad to learn that the man she is to wed has a merciful heart i know a man she went on in our own country who passes for the finest the bravest the most gallant when he brings a horse in from the chase its legs will be trembling and it will be panting so that it can scarce draw a breath because the rider is so brave and dashing that he must go the fastest of all and he will have left his mark upon the poor beast's sides in great furrows where he has ploughed them with his spurs he is greatly admired by every one but his horses die and his hounds shrink when he moves his hand that is what my country people call being manly being a real cavalier the scorn of her tone was something beyond the mere girlish pettishness i generally associated with her but to me except as she represented or influenced her mistress she had never had any interest and so again impatiently i brought her back to the object of our meeting her highness has entrusted you with a message i asked her highness would first of all know said the maid of honour if you fully realize the difficulties you may bring upon yourself by the marriage you propose the princess said i proudly has condescended to say that she will trust herself to me after that as far as i am concerned there can be no question of difficulty as for her if she will consent to accompany me to england no trouble or reproach need ever reach her ears if she prefers to remain here i shall none the less be able to protect my wife were it against the whole empire itself that is the right spirit said mademoiselle ottilie nodding her head approvingly what you say has not got a grain of common sense but that is all as it should be and next she continued drawing closer to me for there was a twilight dimness about us and standing on tiptoe in the endeavour to bring her gaze on a level with mine her highness wishes to know and she dropped her voice a little if you love her very much as if the gaze of those yellow hazel eyes of hers had cast a sudden revealing light upon my soul i stood abashed and dumb self-convicted by my silence love did i love her whom i would make my wife taken up with schemes of vainglory and ambition what room had i in my heart for love in all my triumph at having won her was there one qualifying thread of tenderness would i in fine have sought the woman beautiful though she was were she not the princess in a sort of turmoil i asked myself these things under the compelling earnestness of mademoiselle ottilie's eyes and everything in myself looked strange and hideous to myself as beneath a vivid lightning flash the most familiar scene assumes a singular and appalling aspect in another moment she moved away and turned aside from me and then even as after the lightning flash all things resumed their normal aspect i wondered at my own weak folly and my blood rose hotly against the impertinence that had evoked it by what right said i mademoiselle do you ask me such a question if it be indeed by order of her highness pray tell her that when she will put it to me herself i will answer it to herself the maid of honour wheeled round with her arch inscrutable smile oh she said believe me you have answered me very well i was already convinced of the sincerity and ardour of your attachment to her highness so convinced indeed that i am here to-night for the sole purpose of helping both you and her to your most insane of marriages the princess is accustomed to rely upon me for everything 
and upon me therefore falls the whole burden of preparation and responsibility whether the end of all this will be a dungeon for the lady-in-waiting if indeed the duke does not have her executed for her treason is naturally a contingency which neither of you will consider worth a moment's thought it is quite certain however that without me you would both do something inconceivably stupid and ruin all but voyons monsieur de Genicourt, she went on with sudden gravity and demeanour this is no time for pleasantry it is a very serious matter you are wasting precious moments in a singularly light-hearted fashion it seems to me the reproach came well from her but she left me no time to protest i am here she said as you know to tell you what the princess has decided and how we must act if the whole thing is not to fail first of all the arrival of some important person from the court of Lositz may take place any day and then bonjour she blew an airy kiss and waved her hand while with a cold thrill i realized the irrefutable truth of her words if it is to be she went on unconsciously repeating almost the exact text of her mistress's letter to me it must be at once and in secret mind not a word to a soul till all is accomplished on your honour i lay it and she her highness enjoins it upon you not to betray her to any single human being before you have acquired the right to protect her it is surely not too much to ask she spoke with deep solemnity and yet characteristically cut short my asseverations and that being settled you will be willing to take this lady for your wife probably without a stiver and certainly with her father's curse i smiled proudly in the arrogance of my heart all duke as he was i did no doubt once the first storm over but that my exalted father-in-law would find very extenuating circumstances for his wilful daughter's choice that being settled continued miss ottilie it only remains to know are you prepared to enter the marriage state two nights hence i wish said i and could not keep the note of exultation from my voice at having the rare prize thus actually within my reach i wish you would ask me for some harder proof of my complete devotion to her highness well then she said hastily whispering as if the pines could overhear us so be it i have not been idle to-day and i have laid the plot you know the little church in that wretched village of wilhelmsdell we posted through two days ago the priest there is very old and very poor and like a child because he has always lived among the peasants and now indeed he is almost too old to be their priest any more i saw him to-day and told him that two who loved each other were in great straits because people wanted to wed the maiden to a bad and cruel man that is true monsieur de Genicourt. i told him that these two would die of grief or lose their souls perhaps were they separated because of the love they bore each other there sir i permitted myself a poetical license to be brief i promised him in your name what seemed a great sum for his poor a thousand thalers you will see to that and he has promised me to wed you on wednesday night at eight of the clock secretly in his poor little church he is so old and so simple it was like misleading child but nevertheless the cause being good i trust i may be forgiven drive straight to the church and there you will find one who will direct you the princess will not see you again till she meets you before the altar you will bring her home to your castle a maid will accompany her and that is all adieu monsieur de Yenicourt. she stretched out her hand and her voice trembled you will not see the maid of honour perhaps ever again her task is done she added i took her hand touched by her accent of earnestness 
and gratefully awoke to the fact that she alone had made the impossible possible to my desire i looked at her face close to mine in the faint light and as she smiled at me a little sadly i was struck with the delicate beauty of the curve of her lip and the exquisite finishing touch of the dimple came and went beside it and the thought flashed into my mind that little maid may one day blossom into the sort of woman that drives men mad she slipped her hand from mine as i would have kissed it and nodded at me with a return of the cool impudence that had so often vexed me good-bye gallant cavalier she said mockingly she whistled as if for a dog and i saw the black figure of the nurse start from the shadow of the trees a few yards away and meeting they joined in the mist and merged swiftly into it whereupon i mounted the mare who was sorely tired by her long waiting and as we cantered homewards i was haunted through the extraordinary blaze of my triumphant thoughts to my own exasperation and surprise oddly and unwillingly by the arch sweetness of the maid of honour's smile and once i blushed all alone in the darkness for the shame of such a thought in my mind at such a moment i caught myself picturing the sweetness a man might find in pressing his lips upon the tantalizing dimple end of part one chapter five